Welcome to the fourth episode of VSTML 2017 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors, where the fun never stops. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who we're happy is contributing for once, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And also joining us again today is our good friend, the guy who I've been told suffers from mediocre stamina, David Bindley. That's not mediocre, you bastard. I saw your own quote, and I went for it for you. It's about the only time anyone's ever gone for anything with you, your own. And yet again, you seem to be picking these episodes well. This is another kind of quieter episode, I would say. There's a challenge that I think you actively hate in this episode, which is fun. Oh, there are three challenges I actively hate in this episode. Oh, goody. Yeah. I knew you hated the Haybell one. You don't like the Rodeo one? Uh, I quite like the Rodeo one. It's okay. I feel like it's a good challenge for a TV show. I don't think it's a good challenge for The Mole as a TV show. But I don't know what show it would be good for. That makes sense. So previously, the remaining eight tried to represent each other on a beach as fireworks went off, and Deidre insisted nobody took the cardboard before everyone got separated in Portland and failed yet another challenge. At the execution, Roos got the red screen in Peninsula Park's Rose Garden, leaving a bit of an impact, allegedly, on the group. And they have now moved to Pendleton, which is famous for its annual roundup, which takes place in September every year, and is the one connection to the Wild West that Oregon actually has, going back to our first episode this season. Art says that there are no modern luxuries here, it is pure Western culture. And I have been to cities like Pendleton before, it is pure Western culture. I love how Art's like, there's no Western things here, and then in the B-roll when they introduce the city, there's a cowboy on a mobile phone. It's the perfect confluence of, of modern day life and Western living, that's all it is. For some reason I have never heard of Pendleton prior to this episode. Neither have I, and I googled it literally three weeks ago when we were talking about whether Oregon actually was famous of the Wild West or not. Because I know a fair amount of the quirky quirky towns in the Pacific Northwest, but somehow Pendleton was not on my radar. I have been to literally one-horse towns in the Western US that are more Wild Westy than Oregon. Quite a few of the sort of Utah and Arizona national parks are directly outside towns that are one saloon with everyone turning towards you when you push through the doors. And that is no exaggeration. It's like Back to the Future 3. I love how Didrick even points out that the Wild West theming for this season is a crock of shit and they'd leave it in the episode. That's the thing, when we were talking about this three weeks ago on the premiere, we basically went, if you were going to go somewhere with the Wild West, you don't really associate it with Oregon, you associate it with somewhere like Texas or... California, or Arizona, or Utah, or Nevada, or literally anywhere else. Yeah, all you associate with Oregon is dysentery. Yeah, then pretty much the opening to this episode is, oh, we're going to the Wild West now, are we actually changing states? It's like, no, DJ, you're not that lucky. Yeah, we get a whole, we get, we get a perspective of American geography from a group of Western Europeans. Where they list, where Diedrich starts listing off all the states normally associated with the Wild West, and he said, well, they say it's the Wild West, but yet we're heading east. And I must say the landscape for their drive is identical to where I live. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of very Pacific Northwest. There's no other word for it. Very Pacific Northwest. It's, it's weird because the last episode, when they were going like the beaches and all that sort of stuff, I was thinking that looks exactly like my part of Australia. Like, you know, the trees, different species and whatever, but that looks very much like southern australia and i'm like i don't feel like oh this is so american and i like oregon as a location it doesn't feel 
particularly unique. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, I think, is Oregon isn't particularly unique as a location. I am lucky enough that I have travelled pretty much the entire Pacific coast of North America, at least in terms of the US and Canada. And a lot of those locations look very similar. No matter how far kind of down California you get, a lot of them look very similar to that Oregon landscape that you saw last episode. You wouldn't really associate the Wild West with something so west, and so northwest especially. Or I wouldn't. So the episode title is More Than Normal, and apparently Diedrich does have the best geographical knowledge. He says the Wild West stretches along the southern bit of the US. If they're going to the real Wild West, it will take them two weeks. Sana says she hopes for some country karaoke, and if they're riding horses, she will be opting the hell out of that challenge. Emanuela says everyone other than her is in a duo, she's alone now Bruce has gone, and she has to learn to survive alone like a parakeet that has been left alone for years. And, uh, yeah, I, I've never heard of a contestant compare themselves to a hermit parakeet before. Do you think she was referencing the Monty Python dead parrot sketch? Manuel does not strike me as somebody who would watch Monty Python. I don't even know if it's that... Is it that popular in the Netherlands? I don't know, because I would say the British culture that is kind of most popular around the world, inexplicably, is Mr. Bean, of all things. I have PTSD from how many times they made us watch Mr. Bean at school, because they couldn't be bothered finding (laughs) things to teach us. In drama at my high school, we had to watch a lot of Mr. Bean sketches. Yeah. There was a meme going around on Twitter the other day where they basically had a photo of like one of those TV and VCR cabinet things they used to wheel around. And they were like, oh, well, they were bringing this around at school. And what, and what do you watch? I'm like, it's the theme park episode of Mr. Bean. It's always the theme park episode of Mr. Bean. And then I see other people coming up with other things. I'm like, how do they give you other things to watch? We always had like the two same two episodes over and over and over. See here, like uh, on CBC, our national cable channel, it was always the Christmas special of Mr. Bean that always it. I think it's still a tradition to this day that they still air it on TV every every year. I do love how I'm now going to actually have to put a Mr. Bean trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I can make it worse. There's one TV tradition we have in Australia, and it's every year on New Year's Eve. Channel 9, who's the one who does Married at First Sight and all that shit, every year on New Year's Eve, the one thing they put on after midnight is Can't Stop the Music, the biopic about the village people. Because nothing says Happy New Year like, you know, disco. I was not prepared for that. <laughs> we have discussed this before, and it did make me laugh last time as well. So it is day seven in Pendleton. Now the landscape has got a bit flatter. Art meets them at the Pendleton Roundup, the most famous rodeo arena in the US. And Sigrid is very excited because she's been looking forward to horses for the past seven days. All they've got to do is get from one end of a hay bale arena to the other, grabbing one of six lassoes that have been left out, earning them 250 euros for the pot. A cowboy or girl will try and stop them, If they succeed, the lasso will be replaced, and that person is out of the game. The seventh person will be able to bet one lasso per player who succeeded on their run to potentially double the winnings of the challenge. If the seventh player is caught when they cross the finish line, then any money bet is lost. Sana says that people trying to catch her is one of her nightmares, and these people have lassoes. I mean, to be fair, Logan's just reminded of the plot of one of his mucky videos. It is a kink. <laughs> That's definitely not going on the Sonda soundboard. You're just going, it is a kink. <laughs> He's going to rope you. Yeah. I was thinking with, with Emmanuel doing this challenge with Cowgirl Bailey, and she's like, oh, I'm going to rope you. I'm like, there are so many ways to interpret that statement, Emmanuel. 
and you knew we were going to make every single one of them, didn't you? <laughs> Logan, I've got one word to say to you. Pineapple. <laughs> oh, I miss Lucas and Brittany so much. So they decide to leave Thomas and Emmanuela to last. One of them will be the lucky seventh person. Eurowen is the first to go, though. He grabs a lasso and then hides in a bunker, but manages to escape to earn the first 250 euros. And he tells the group when he gets back that they have to intimidate the animal. It's the first time for everything with Eurowen being intimidating to anything. Yeah, how timid is that horse, then, if it's afraid of Eurowen, of all people? Sigrid is second. She says she did a running competition in a safari park as a child, which she won. So that is her frame of reference for this challenge, because evidently she hasn't run from another animal since. (laughs) If you can beat your friends, you can beat a horse. Sigrid is so odd. Like, I can actually say this now that that she's gone. Sigrid is, I would say, the weirdest person in this group, and that includes your own. Well, I mean, she did talk about how she needed large yellow gloves to handle any sort of... uh germ of all the frames of reference that she goes to it's racing a bald eagle at a safari park in the netherlands for this challenge sigrid feels very very young like i know we just had noah in Belgium, but sigrid feels even younger than that yeah she does she feels really really young she's not the youngest in the cast either is she i think uh, ivana was younger yeah i, I thought ivana was like one of, one of the youngest contestants they had ever had on Vidim. i think ivana was only about 23 Annoyingly, I've not got the mole for this season to use as a frame of reference like I do for Georgia. So, Sigrid is very intimidated by the cowgirl, as are the other six, and she's easily caught. It wasn't, it wasn't even close. No, she she does the worst of anyone in this challenge, because I don't even think she gets a lasso. No, she, she does almost as badly as Logan was, and we've already established he wants to be roped. Thomas says in confessional that he doesn't suspect her, but she did fail yet another challenge. Joachim goes third, which goes as well as you'd expect. Why did he go around in circles around that same hay bale for like 20 minutes? Maybe he was just trying to tire the animal out. He tired himself out because he tripped over his own foot. I love how he managed to put himself, the horse, the cowboy, and the audience to sleep all at once. Classic Joachim. Yeah, we would have needed a polka flute to wake all of them up to finish up the challenge. He's not that fat. Well, I mean, he did draw himself as a bear last last episode, so I don't know about that. I like how after he gets caught, he's like, yeah, that was not a great technique I did. I did not think that one through. Who'd have thought that deliberately falling on the ground and putting your leg in the air and going, come on, bitch, lasso me, wouldn't work? You know, if they did this challenge a few years a few years earlier, somebody who totally would have tried to do the Gunnam style dance with the horse. But because it's 2017, it was the fad was already done with. And if they did this on Belgium, they'd probably get dragged behind the horses. They'd have to be blindfolded and do the Gundam style dance while being dragged behind the door, behind the horse. Don't give Papa Bear ideas. <laughs> he is still looking for ideas for season 10. We should send him a bunch of challenge ideas that are absolutely absurd and see if anything makes it onto TV. So Santa goes fourth. If she survived the first, she'll survive this. She's unsurprisingly quite no nonsense with this challenge. She grabs a lasso and gets through for another 250 euros. She stops for like half a second the whole time. The rest of it was just an outright sprint from one end to the other. I think that might be the best tactic. I think so too, because then it doesn't allow the cowboy or cowgirl to recover with the horse. It's just boom, it's all done in one shot. I think the bunkers and the hay bales are a bit of a distraction in this challenge. I think you just go full pelt and just try. Because at worst, they're only going to loosely lasso you like they do with some of the faster people. If you slow down, they will be more accurate 
and they will tug your wrist or your leg and it will hurt more. Yeah, like they, it's almost as if they're measuring you up when when you stop at a hay bale. And Emanuela wonders if she's playing on her fears as a deflection, which is very suspicious. Diedrich goes fifth. They score it with something like you would hear in Frontierland in Disneyland. And he is Joachim's number one suspect, but does manage to get through for another 250 euros. And I completely and utterly am speaking from experience with the Frontierland music because I'm desperate to go back to a theme park soon. It's basically the first place I want to go when we can travel the world again is a proper theme park and just enjoy myself again. So Emanuela is sixth. Apparently she is so fearsome that the cowgirl would be lucky to be still on a horse at the end. And let's be honest, just like with the laser game, this challenge is just all Emanuela's. There is no one else in this challenge apart from Emanuela in terms of entertainment. Was she flirting with the cowgirl? I'm, I was just so confused by their interactions by the end of the by the end of the challenge. She was flirting with the cowgirl. We had her basically treat this like a war movie again, just like she did with the laser game. She was leaping over bunkers. She was leaping over hay bales. She did not mess around. And apparently, the cowgirl said to her, "I'm gonna rope you." I'm assuming slightly less flirtatious than Emanuela did in Confessional. Yeah, she probably just said, eh, I'm going to rope you. They don't really take kindly in uh, in sort of frontier towns to that sort of behaviour between two women. Oh, that's, that's how I've heard of Pendleton. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in one of your mucky movies. Roped up in Pendleton, I think it was called, wasn't it? Coming to a saloon near you. Now available in Dutch and Flemish subtitles. So Thomas ends up going last. They bet two of their lassoes on him getting to the end, and the cowboy has to grab one of the lassoes still on the course in order to be able to rope him. He says that the horse is so high he feels like he's a dwarf, and he sprints for the finish line and gets caught just as he crosses it on his wrist. Yeah, I bet you at the end of the challenge, when they find out that uh, they only end up earning 500 of the possible 1,000 euros due, due to the botched, botched wager, they're probably thinking at the time, hmm... We're not the best group when it comes to wagering our own money. Fast forward 30 minutes later. <laughs> Little did they know. Yeah. <laughs> Their problems were just beginning. Knowing what's coming up with the auction, where would you want to be in this challenge as a mall? Like, would you want to be the last person? I think it doesn't matter if you're the last person as long as you make sure the right person is the last person. You want someone there who is going to get caught no matter what. And then you want to try and big up your team to bet as many lassoes as possible. Maybe they should have had Sigrid the running champion go last. And then just get clobbered in the process. <laughs> Maybe they should have just assumed that it was going to be a bald eagle chasing her and just put Sigrid in there. She can beat him. She's done it before. But I don't think it matters if the mole is the last person as long as the bet is high enough. I think that's the the bigger distinction that needs to be made. The bet matters more than the last person. I think it would have been funnier if Sigrid had erased the bald eagle on that course, because then the bald eagle could just swoop down and pick her up and just fly her halfway across the country. Maybe fly her 16 kilometers across the Oregon Trail. And it would have felt way more America if that happened. I mean, horses aren't American. Bald eagles are American. So Thomas was caught just before he crossed the finish line, meaning they earned 500 euros of a possible 3,000 for the pot. And then Joachim makes another bond, this time with Emanuela. Sigrid doesn't give him much in return, and he was both Emanuela and Roos's main suspect. He proposes that they exchange suspect lists, and she, in return, asks him to do his signature three times, as she wants to compare it to the signature on the Mulmany. 
which does not match. It's like a multi-step authentication process. <laughs> well, it goes back to what I was saying last week about everyone in this season is really suspicious of the mole money because the mole money was the main clue last season. In season 16, the mole money was basically the way to find the mole in the end if you didn't know who it was because of the back of it being a pixel portrait of the mole, as I mentioned last week. So they're always suspicious in this season of the mole money being a trick again. And I'm pretty sure when I say this, that the mole money is not a hint in this season. I wish Emmanuel would have made Yakum do other things before the bond was made, so she could have said, okay, do your do your autograph three times in this notebook. Okay, now do 20 push-ups. Okay, now find me a, a chocolate donut filled with lots of jelly. Okay, now now go go do some of my homework for one of my university classes. Okay, now we can be a bond. Now now go put on roller skates and a wedding dress and eat a donut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like an entrance to a fraternity. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was referencing, Logan. So they decide to change treasures on day eight, and Rowan volunteers himself for it. And weirdly, he gets unopposed on this. Knowing what we know now, you wouldn't trust your own with money. I love how they always seem to change the treasurer right when there's a challenge when the treasurer has a thing. It's like production's forcing them to do it. Do you think production were kind of pushing them to do it, knowing that day eight was going to be the first treasurer-intensive challenge? I, I think there was definitely hinting towards it. I don't know whether they were outright saying, you know, you have to change the treasurer. We were discussing this in Georgia, though, weren't we? I think they do get a bit of an indication before the challenge if it's going to be a treasurer-intensive one to go, are you sure you want the treasurer to be the same, just in case it's important? I think this is another one of those examples here where production may be setting confessionals for a couple of them. You might want to think about who the treasurer is just in case, given that Roos was the treasurer when she went home, maybe you want to pick one soon. Hint, hint. I mean, it's not something they want to do for fun, right? It's like, It's got to be just some extra thing they're forced to do. No, they're always paranoid of the treasurer because there are so many challenges where the treasurer is in a key position. But I think other than other than Vidim, no one else really cares about the treasurer as much. It came into play a little bit in Australia 6 because they were so inspired by Vidim. But Belgi doesn't have a treasurer. Belgi occasionally has a bookkeeper in Sven, but Belgi doesn't have a, uh, a treasurer. I don't think Germany had one either. No, I think we had this discussion before and... It was pretty much just only Vidim does it. I think Finland's been doing it, but that's also because they're very inspired by Vidim as well. Yeah, I think there's two trains of thought with with mole versions now. One is the, the Dutch-style one where you have a treasurer, you have someone with a lot of control who's picked by the group, and the other is the Belgian-style where they just go, the pot's hypothetical, we're just going to count it for you. No one's actually going to have any more money. There's no physical money in this game. Which one do you trust Eureka Productions not to fuck up? I think I would prefer to be in a Belgian-style season in that respect, because the mole can't make any money disappear. We had it in the past, and I've referenced this before, we've had it in the past where the mole has been treasurer in the final challenge, the mole has done stuff with the pot, which then didn't come to light until the reunion episode, and it was one final sneaky sabotage. I don't particularly like the mole being able to do that. So I would much prefer to be in a, a Belgian-style season where it's just production is the treasurer in reality, and we just trust that they're going to be truthful with it. Because, yeah, the, really, the role of treasure, like, there's no 
benefit to it. The only thing that can happen is you can lose even more money. And given Vidim's price pool is the lowest of any version as far as I'm aware of, that just handicaps them even more. <laughs> it's just one more way it's just one more way for contestants to be screwed over in a franchise that's already really stingy with handing out money. At the time of recording, and it's fair to say this, we have not finished watching the Belgian Germany season yet. That potential part is double what Czechia could have been this year. At the time of recording, Belgium could have been eighty eight thousand euros. And what was Czechia's max? Czechia's max actually was 46,300. So it's pretty much double over the same time period. And yeah, usually you win, what, 20, anywhere between 20 to 30% of the money ends up uh, ends up going to the winner? Yeah. I don't mind having the money like as a prop so much because then that allows you to do um, some challenges that require teams to pick up the money and that sort of thing. But also having the money there makes them a little bit too reliant on the money. Like there was a challenge in one of the early Australian seasons where it was basically like a diamond heist. So you'd go down and it's like, you know, one of those ones where you dodge the lasers and grab the thing without setting off the alarm. And I feel like that would be less exciting if you had, you know, a thousand euro banknote there instead of a big giant diamond. Yeah, it's the same thing as with the Drunk Museum heist. Drunk Museum heist, if they'd just hidden 1,500 euros worth of mole money in, in the museum, it would have been way less fun for them to try and sneak out than a big-ass vase. Yeah. The money helps set the season, but it makes the challenges a little bit too basic. Yeah. It restricts what challenges they can do because they have to then factor in the money. And there's some challenges that I really like where the money's involved. Like there was the one in the uh, Dominican Republic season where you had to basically change the banknotes with each other to finish them off. And that was good, but I you, you could just make banknotes just for that challenge and then just do the Belgian thing the rest of the time. Like I, d- I don't think, you know, not having banknotes necessarily means you can't do banknotes, but having the banknotes makes you lazy. Euroan, as treasurer, promises to throw the money out of the car and gloats that they're doing quite well this season so far monetarily. This isn't foreshadowing for the rest of the episode. And for the second assignment, Art meets them on a random farm by some hay bales. How many challenges on your challenge guide have got an F? I don't know. I was meaning to count them up yesterday and I forgot all about it. I, I fell asleep watching this episode, so... It's one of the few challenges in Bindle's challenge guide that has the impressive F grade, because it is literally just find the four cards that are hidden in this big-ass stack of hay bales. you got 15 minutes. Although the first challenge in the next episode gets an F as well, so, you know, you've hit the good part of the season, Logan. This is the part of the season where I was a little bit reluctant to commit to doing Oregon with you, because I remember how kind of interesting these episodes are. It picks back up again. I'll, I'll warn you now, it picks back up again. Yeah, I've already watched I've already watched episode five. Yeah, the first challenge on the next episode, not the best. Well, you didn't like seeing them shoot shoot targets where we couldn't track who was shooting what for like ten, five minutes. It's almost like going back to what we've just been saying, these challenges are a little bit too basic right now. There's no nuance to them. It's not it doesn't really put the wild in Wild West. It's like, welcome to the Wild West. You are now going to Search for four cards amongst a bunch of hay bales. You have 15 minutes. 
and there's no other twist to this challenge. Good luck. <laughs> it's like, okay, um, they tried this on Amazing Race, and it's probably my least favorite challenge they've ever done in all 40-something whatever seasons I have seen of all the franchises, and you're telling me I now have to watch this on Vidim? And that the contestants are trying to figure out some sort of strategy to it when there really isn't. It's just, there's 560 hay bales. Just hope you find the right four in 15 minutes. The worst thing about this is the fact that they go about this challenge so wrong. There is an obvious strategy here, and they completely and utterly mess it up. Go from the outside? Or alternatively, kick everything out. You don't need to keep them on a, on a big stack. Just kick them all around and have a look at them individually. If you're going to have to use brute strength here, to quote Santa, use your brute strength. Don't half-arse it. Kick them across the farm. Yeah, if you've got Euron and Santa both trying to lift up a hay bale together and they can't get it out, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, just kick everything. Use your legs as the strongest part of your body. Just boot them. It's not a hard challenge. Maybe one of them was pushing down on the hay bale as hard as they could as a joke. I can't lift it up. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, they're all so kind of compressed that the best way to be able to find them and pull more out is to make space. And the best way to make space is to just brute force it, pretend you're Jamali Maddox, and just boot stuff. It's not a hard thing to do. Unless they weren't allowed to boot them off the truck, because that seems like that would be a really obvious thing to do, is just to make sure it's out of the way and not a factor anymore. Within the last five minutes, they were pushing them over the side, which is all I would have done. I would have just started pushing them. Because then you have people on the sides who can pull them lengthways rather than pulling them from the top. I feel like there's something we were missing, because like, we see Art explain the challenge, and it's basically, okay, there's money over here, go get it. And there's got to be something either we weren't shown or they weren't told, or both. But it feels like what we thought the challenge was wasn't what they thought the challenge was. Yeah. That's been a problem for this cast for a good chunk of the season is that they don't seem to understand all the instructions. Like we had this discussion of the Dunes challenge where Sun where Sunny's on the walkie-talkie trying to where she's asking a bunch of redundant questions. And then we're actually going to see it again with the with the Yoker challenge where everyone says, oh, I thought the rules were actually this instead of what, instead of that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have wagered that much money. So it just keeps coming up again that the cast is like, whoa, we didn't really understand what the challenge was supposed to be until after it was all over. That's why we didn't win any money. Do you think they just don't listen? I think it's like the... It's the classic thing that happens on group projects where you just hope that somebody else in your group listened to the instructions but then everyone was in that same uh, frame of thinking so that nobody listens to the instructions and then you're just left to figure it out on your own because everyone was relying on everyone else to to figure it out. I love how everyone else was just sort of trying incompetently, but they were trying. And meanwhile, Sigrid was just wandering around drunk dressed for business yoga. This is not Sigrid's finest episode, not just because of the crying fit she has at the end of the episode, but... I mean, from going, I am trained for this, I've raced a bald eagle before, and then immediately getting caught faster than anyone else, including Joachim of all people. And then just doing absolutely nothing in this challenge, and then sitting there for the auction just being pissed off at everyone. She found 500 euros in the hay bale challenge, what are you talking about? Not on her own, though. 
Yeah, she got help from the sparkly pants she was wearing. Because anyone knows that if you're going to do hard, intensive work on a farm, you're going to wear sparkly pants. How do you fix this sort of challenge? You don't do it. I feel like they settled on a theme of doing the US for the first time in any mole season ever and doing a sort of really classic Americana theme. And then they ran out of ideas for challenges when they got to this episode and went, um, well, we know Oregon Trail's the next episode, so what can we do as a filler challenge? And we need to give them a fair amount of money here. Let's, I don't know, stick 2,000 euros hidden in a pile of hay. That'll do. The weird thing is, I remember there was an interview they gave shortly before it premiered where they were basically saying, we've wanted to do America for years and years and years, and we've had the ideas ready to go. And I'm like, you've been planning an America season for years and years and years, and this is what you come up with? Yeah, we, we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago. Was Oregon always going to be first choice, or was it a backup location? I know that they wanted to do America, and I think they were sort of looking for a state that suited the kind of challenges they wanted to do. So they they basically wanted to do the Wild West season, and then Oregon came along and said, you know, we'll you know give you tax credits or whatever they do to make it cheaper. But I don't know necessarily whether Oregon was their first choice of state. I, I feel like they probably wanted to do like Texas or somewhere and then couldn't. Yeah, it feels like Oregon was not necessarily a backup location, or the US definitely wasn't. It's not like Sri Lanka where they had about three weeks' notice, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, Sana says there's absolutely no strategy. It's just pure physical strength. They ask Diedrich to work out the probability, and even Diedrich can't be asked with this challenge. He just refuses to do it. He just says it's about 280. Just work it out. Yaron says it's tough with his mediocre stamina. And Thomas says with this sort of assignment, you just pay attention to what you're doing and not what everyone else is doing. Sana was basically doing everything herself. Joachim and Diedrich were just pointing and doing nothing. Joachim and Thomas find the first 250 euros, and it is an absolutely massive card, and then Sigrid finds another one, which is 500 euros. And Joachim says she was happy to have contributed to the group for once. And the time runs out, and they end 750 euros of 2,000. That's the challenge. Euron says that Art always gives the impression when he's saying goodbye to them that they have messed up at something. Well, if the shoe fits... Yeah, Art says at the end, you did well given the lack of collaboration between all of you. Which I think has been kind of a quote he's said over and over again throughout the season. Art is such a sassy bitch to some of these people. I know we have Gilles de Costa dick moments, but Art is really trying to compete with Gilles for attitude at this point. Actually, I think the times where they've earned the most money is when they act as individuals throughout the season. Let me just think of how much money they earned with the last suit challenge going one at a time. And then what's another challenge where they've gone one at a time and earned a chunk of money? Well, they earned two and a half thousand euros from the beach just by, I suppose, doing individual things and doing their own portraits. Yeah, you could argue. Yeah, I guess you could argue one way or the other on that. Because they certainly didn't earn any money as a team on the on the car challenge. <laughs> they would have earned a fair bit on the running challenge if they'd found the other half of the thousand euros. Because then they would have had over two thousand out of three thousand, I think it was in total. Yeah, if they just found that, that lousy 1,000 euro note, that would have made a massive difference there. Otherwise, they did really well on the relay. So, Sana and Yeroen take a strategy walk. She's always said the mole is a woman, and she thinks that that woman is Sigrid. She's never shown any nerves pre-test, and has done three assignments where she's brought absolutely nothing in. She says it's a good idea to have completely different suspects. Yeroen has always been wrong, and she'll be thankful that he has a bond with her. 
I know what the other challenge I was thinking of, the laser game, because they went to one at a time there and, and earned a good chunk of money. Yeah, they did. Only two people failed in the laser game. Yeah, so that's I mean. that They don't. They just don't work well as a team since, since the first challenge, anyway. Rowan says that Diedrich is always so cool and calm, and like everyone else at the executions, he is never nervous. And she decides to watch Diedrich and Joachim today, and he's going to watch Emanuela and Sigrid. And they will, as a pair, ignore Thomas for now. And they then head to Hermiston for the final assignment of the episode. Art meets them all individually and says there are no Jokers in the game at the moment, even though it is halfway through the season. Jokers could be vitally important. Spoilers, Jokers are not vitally important. We've had this argument quite a few times on these podcasts. Jokers are not that important, especially one. On a 20-question quiz, this isn't the American version where every quiz is only 10 questions. Well, the Australian season where it was six questions. What? Well, how do you do only six questions? I don't remember off the top of my head how they did it, but there was one season where it basically got cut down to six questions. And then the next season, which was the live season, they basically did five questions live. They basically spent 15 minutes plugging a viewer contest that nobody bothered entering because no one was watching the show. And then they sort of did another test off camera for like another five questions, and then they sort of added them together somehow. What happens if there's a tie? How do they determine the time? Well, time over the two, surely. But it's like two different film segments. That'd be so odd to try and combine it there because it's two completely different styles of quiz taking. I think they used... They didn't film the pre-recorded test, but I think they used just the time for that one as the tiebreaker if they needed to. But then I don't think it ever wound up mattering. So weird. Yeah. Welcome to Australian TV, Logan. Yeah, I kind of figured once we got the whole, I don't know, stowaway teams for their domestic version of Amazing Race. <laughs> That's like, boy, oh boy, do I miss Michael McKay right now. <laughs> so Art asked them all individually how much three yokers would be worth to them. And I'm not going to rehash this argument for about the 57th time this year, but yokers are not worth more than about 500 euros each. Stop being greedy. What's funny is that Euroan, Euroan's insurance rate matches how much we value each yoker because we said it would be 500 apiece. So with three yokers, that would be 1500 And that's exactly the amount of insurance that Euroan goes for for the pot. How much do you pick as your bid if you were in this situation? As player or mole? Both. Mole, zero. Because that is the biggest input they can have. They can just tank the value of the the average. Because from a mole's point of view, obviously they want to take as much money out of the pot as they can here. The best way to do that is to lower the average, because then at best, your Rowan has to bid higher and take more money out of the pot himself to be able to add the insurance in. And at worst, then you can um, do a really high bid yourself and make sure that more than the the bare minimum is taken out. As player, the problem is the players don't know why they're being asked this, and they potentially think that the highest value will get taken out of the pot, because that's the sort of thing they do like to do. Cough, Bell G, cough. But if you know what the challenge is going to be as a player, you obviously bid as high as possible. The players can game this challenge by all bidding really high for three yokers. As a player and as a mole, you have completely different tactics in this, in this segment of the challenge. But if you're a player and you don't know what the twist is going to be, you think the smart thing to say would be zero as well. Yeah. 
this challenge kind of lives and dies on the actual players not being sensible enough to think there's going to be a trick. Let's be honest, if there's any cast in this show that's not sensible enough to think this is a trick, it's this one. Yeah. They couldn't have done this with any of the any other cast, I don't think. I'm just trying to imagine how much Olche would have bid. Olche would have bid zero because Olche loves money and doesn't want to spend it. So Sigrid says a lot, but then she says she'll pay 1,500 euros in total. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, I need a real number. <laughs> <laughs> Quantify that for me, please, Sigrid. Uh, a fair amount. <laughs> I'm thinking of a number between one and a million. A high number? She says she thinks she can succeed without Yokers. That's a telling quote for the end of this episode. Emanuela says they've already picked up a measly amount of money, so absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh, she thinks that's a measly amount of money? I wrote that down too, where she says, we, ha- we have a measly pot, so I'm going to say zero. Uh, and then it's like, oh, that quote does not age well. Thomas says 2,000 euros, Joachim says nothing, Diedrich says 3,500, Sana says 750, and my favourite thing of this entire segment is the fact that Art's reaction is just, okay, and then he just tells him to go away, basically, and get out of my sight. That's nice, fuck off. He just completely no-sells it, it's brilliant. He's like, oh, I was just bored, I was just going to ask you this question, we're not even doing a challenge right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just hypothetical, I'm just wasting time. Yeah. <laughs> It's the wild one. It's Pendleton. What else is there to do in Pendleton? Exactly. There's fuck all for me to do until I get my massage later. So I'm just going to ask you how much you want. Yeah, I'm going to go back to my trailer now. Go watch my videos. Yeah, didn't you lend out some videos for this season, Logan? Uh, not, not to my knowledge. Wasn't it Busty Cowgirl Seven? Busty Cowgirl Seven Pendleton Edition. They really will make your West wild. So Yorona's treasurer is asked a different question. He's told the average was 1,300 euros, and the rest will be able to bid for three yokers, up to 1,300 euros, and it will be free. If they spend less, they will get 500 euros bonus. Anything more than that will come out of the pots, but he can buy insurance. Whatever value he chooses to insure up to will then become safe, but it will cost them half of the extra amount from the pot, regardless of how much they pay. He insures for an extra 200 euros, as he thinks nobody will empty the pot for a yoker. How little he knows. He also gets a yoker if the group don't spend more than their insurance. Has he ever watched this show before? I would assume so, but also it's Yeroen. You can't trust anything he says because he's usually wrong about it. I love how production basically saw how he handled this challenge and then chose him to be the mole for Renaissance. Well, they're just playing on the fact that everyone is going to think he's a moron. The problem is, as mole, he proved he was a moron. Just not for the reasons you would expect. So Art then brings them all back together and tells them they can spend up to 1,300 euros for free. Anything else will come out of the pot. He doesn't tell them about the insurance. The bidding for the first calf reaches 1,300 euros within 20 seconds. And Yeroen is fucked. Diedrich says this can only end up being a slaughter, which is appropriate given it's a cattle auction. He's not wrong, and he wins the first Joker for 2,700 euros which is already 1,200 euros higher than your own thought three of them were going to go for. I have no insurance. Sigrid refuses to bid because the pot is more valuable, and then Sana pushes the second one to 2,000 euros, at which point Thomas drops out, and she wins it for 2,000. The final calf enters, and Sigrid joins the party. Joachim also starts a bidding war with Thomas. They both want it, and it's finally sold to Joachim for 3,500 euros. Sanna and Thomas say afterwards they both thought that it was 1,300 euros per person, not as a group, because if it was as a group, 
they wouldn't have bid. Who the hell spread that rumour? I don't know. I think the mole might have spread that rumour. I think the mole may have deliberately misheard the instructions and then spread it to everyone else. That would be my instinct on it. So Art then hands out the yokers and reveals Yaron's deal. Sana's reaction to him thinking that they'd only spend 1,500 euros was the potentially iconic, Oh, honey. <laughs> really? It's really quiet in the edit, but you can see it in the scene. Art reveals that the insurance only went up to the value of 1,500, and Sana just kind of goes really quietly, Oh, honey. You sweet, naive child. What was wrong with Diedrich during the auction? Because as soon as he gets in on the wagering, after the first round, his face gets very, very red as if he's about to pass out from a heart attack or something. I, I think he realized how much money was going to go. Yeah, it's a combination of him realizing how much money's going to go, and also the fact that it was probably fairly warm in that cattle shed. They're not exactly known for the ventilation. And isn't it really mean to throw a bunch of people who speak English as a second language into a room with an auctioneer guy who speaks English way, way, way too fast? That's basically the best part of the challenge, though. It's basically like throwing them into a room with me and asking me to do my fastest podcast voice to confuse them. Thomas put 1,700. Uh, Mangal <laughs> They spent 8,200 euros plus the 100 euros administration fee for using the insurance at all, meaning that they earned a huge minus 6,800 euros out of a possible 500 for the challenge, minus 5,550 of 5,500 for the episode, and 1,280 of 24,250 for the season so far. Emmanuel's reaction to that is, of course, to clap. Remind your Owen not to play blackjack in a casino where the first card the dealer gets is an ace. Because he may not figure out how the insurance thing works in there either. I know we don't particularly like Euron. I know we've made that really subtle, given his behaviour in Renaissance. Wait, you don't like Euron? I know. I'm always so subtle with my emotions. Hmm. I think, potentially, even if we didn't know that Euron's an idiot, and that his behaviour in, in Renaissance is idiocy, I think we could have a fair argument here for him being one of the worst treasurers ever. And yes, I'm including the moles who've stolen money out of the pot as treasurer when I'm saying those things. He played it so badly as treasurer here that they should have immediately taken that pot off him and said, get off my season, you're never having this money ever again. Maybe they cast him as the mole for Renaissance just so they would know that he could not possibly win any money. Although, in, in that case, you know, why don't you pick somebody else? Why don't you pick literally anyone else from this season? Say you had to pick a guy from Oregon. Your own would be your fifth choice, I think. Yeah. I would actually have preferred to have seen Vincent come back, even though he only had one episode and it was essentially a great one-episode arc, rather than your own. He'd be a memorable first boot to have. If you're going to bring back Teeny, you bring back Vincent as well, because Vincent's at least interesting and has something to fight for. Your own really doesn't. I like how when Art hands out the necklaces with the yokers, he's like, well, the necklaces are free. And then Diedrich's just looking at the at his yoker, and he's like, I don't know whether to wear it around my neck or wear it as a noose. That is our banner this week, which is uh, Diedrich in the confessional just holding his yoker upside down, going, am I using this as a noose? It feels like I probably should. And then Emmanuel, of course, has the golden quote of, how much of an advantage is one yoker? What's that going to get you? <laughs> 
at final seven, it is not an advantage to have one yoker that you spent potentially up to three and a half thousand euros for. We're still in the phase where people are going to be in most seasons where you're still going to have at least one person dumb enough to not spread on the quiz. You have the insurance already inbuilt. You don't need to spend the money on the yokers. So Diedrich says he doesn't understand why your own didn't spend more on the insurance. Believe me, I understand that assertion. Everyone's confused as to why they thought it was €1,300 per person. And then we do have Diedrich's confessional about using his necklace as a yoker or a noose. Emanuela and Sigrid form a bond. She knows who Roos voted for, which is powerful information. And Sigrid wants to use the bond as collateral for her bond with the Ockham. He admits to Sigrid that him and Emanuela have a bond, and that he revealed who they suspected. So it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole, who can never go home. Three people do have Yokers, which is Joachim, Diedrich, and Sanna. The test takes place at the Rainbow Cafe in Pendleton, which is one of the oldest cafes in Oregon. Emanuela spreads differently. Joachim's off the list, even though she doesn't trust him despite their bond. Diedrich is a big liar with his beavers. And coincidentally, big liars with their beavers is one of Logan's videos. Joachim plays his Joker, we don't get any suspicions from him. Dietrich says own cost him a lot of money by not buying the insurance properly, and he plays his Joker. Thomas is putting a lot on own for the bad insurance, which could be a mole action. He's also keeping an eye on Sana. Sana says Joachim costs a group a lot, but it could be really obvious that it's him. Could also be an obvious mole action, and she plays her Joker. Sigrid says that Joachim wanted to go higher than Diedrich to draw suspicion, and she's confused about who suspects. And then Art says in his beautifully sassy manner that it might that it might be a blessing that three people have gone already so they don't have to deal with this bullshit pot. Sana, Euron, and Joachim all get green screens before Sigrid is the fourth to see a red one. Yeah, I believe Art I believe Art says the loser will go home with an even bigger hangover than the first three did. Because they are gonna get shit faced. Mainly because I have a strong suspicion that Sigrid probably drowned her sorrows that evening. She is potentially the most heartbroken person we've ever seen after a mole execution. Since the opening of uh, Belgium, South Africa? I think she is more devastated than Jessica was, actually. Yeah, those were a lot of tears flowing. They really were. I'd forgotten how kind of bitterly she takes her execution here. She's not a happy bunny. All I wanted was a thousand euros, because I can do so much with a thousand euros in Amsterdam. I've seen less emotional reactions from people who have won this show. We'd never really got the impression that she was a super fan up until this point, and now she's kind of devastated that someone, not mentioning any names, Joachim, has taken her dream away from her. Fucking Joachim. Because I'm assuming it was Joachim who who she blamed entirely for her, her devastation, basically. That he just put her on the wrong track for who the mole could be from their bond? Yeah, and that he betrayed her to Emanuela right before the end. Yeah. So Joachim is also pretty devastated. The move that he made could have been the one that Emanuela took advantage of and caused Sigrid to go home. She does ball when she's speaking to Art. There is one person she couldn't even look in the eye because they took her dream away. It is one of the greatest things she's ever done and she's very angry that she has to go back to her real life. So next time, the final six begin their trip along the Oregon Trail with a carriage ride, some shooting, a bond check and some instruction burning along the way. Oh, there's a great quote in her exit interview that I took note of, where where Art's talking to her, and she's saying, she's saying, it's one of the greatest things I've ever done. And right as they're cutting to the montage, she says, I really enjoyed when things are just thrown at me, 
And they cut to the montage of the cowgirl throwing the lasso at her. I laughed at that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when the editors of this show are kinks to people. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I really enjoy it when things are thrown at me. It's just her being roped in slow motion. <laughs> it's like this really this really disrupts the most emotional exit they've ever had with just <laughs> with just this completely ironic cut in editing. For all our kind of criticism of this bit of the season, and it does pick back up again, don't worry, we're not gonna be this hard on the season for the rest of it. For all our kind of criticism for it, the editors are still really good at what they do at this point. Maybe not so much in later Vidim seasons, but at this point, they're firing on all cylinders and they know exactly how funny they can be. And I bet when they saw that quote from her exit interview, they went, oh, we've got the perfect cut for this one. So, Mr. Saunders, who do you suspect or who did you suspect when you watched this episode? So, let's see. Sigrid was my number one suspect prior to execution. Then Thomas, then Sane, then Diedrich, then Emmanuel, then Yalcom, then, of course, Eurowen, who's ruled out. So now that Sigrid's executed, just remove Sigrid from the list, and now that means Thomas is number one, Sane's number two, then Diedrich, then Emanuela, then Yalcom. And then Eurowen. And then Eurowen, yeah. And my suspicions at the time were Diedrich, then Yalcom, then Thomas, then Eurowen, then Sane, and then Emanuela. And the Bothers Bar top three at the time were, in order, Yeroen, Joachim, and then Sana. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? No, good. No, that's it for me. Ordinarily, we would do Who Do You Think's Going Home Next, but Saunders has already seen the next episode, so I can't do that. And I did forget to do it last week as well, which makes it even better. Well, I kind of knew it had to be next episode anyway. <laughs> it's not a surprise, put it that way. Yeah, I'm like, I know he doesn't make it to the end. I must admit, I'm looking forward to you actually having to make suspicions without having him in last place constantly. So thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2017 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another old mall in Oregon. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsuperquacky. Bindles is the Grim Recapper. And I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out, and I'll be at the Working Girls Hotel in Pendleton. Oh, I bet you will. Ooh, pineapple. <laughs>